All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Brian and Carol. All right, y'all. Um, I'm excited this morning. I get to share the Word of God with you yet again. What an amazing thing that God allows us to do is, is talk about Him on a regular basis. Uh, if we're going to listen, that's another story, but He allows it, and so we're going to do it here today. Amen? We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about what He is, is preparing for us, what He's what he's had for us. You know, I was going to take a little break on Matthew 24, and uh, I was going to preach on something else today, and I told Carol that, um, and, and, then, uh, and then that got changed. Uh, and, then, and then God was clear to me, you need to keep going, man. You need to keep going. Um, so we are here in Matthew 24 and verse 21. Now, as we read, I want you to remember that God is showing you something, okay? Every time you read the Bible, I want want you to be clear in your mind that God is showing you something. He's teaching you something. And he's using his very own words in order to do that. The scripture says a lot of things about itself. It says that it's God-breathed, that it's usable for teaching, right? It's usable for uh, admonishing and rebuking, that it's, 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 it's usable for training up in righteousness those who would pour into it. It's, it's, uh, it's for us. It's, it's, it's inspired. Uh, uh, the Holy Spirit's work is all over it. It's, it's the very words of God, the scripture tells us. Um, so that the man and the woman of God would be built up and equipped, ready for everything that's good. Every good work that we would ever do on this world, that the scripture prepares us for that. And so as you read it, and as we read it here today, and as we continue to read it, I just wanted to encourage you with those words that, that God is teaching you something. He's telling you something. And I, I, now, I, I'm not naive enough to know, or to, to think, I'm not naive enough to think, that God perhaps is teaching you something through the reading of the scripture on a given Sunday morning that I'm not specifically teaching you. So I could be teaching you something and going with a point here and there, a couple of points here and there about what God is showing us theologically throughout the course of time, historically, culturally, in context, exegetically, right? We're exegeting, I'm exegeting out of the scripture, I'm taking from it to show it to you. I'm I'm presenting the, the word of God for you. But in your life individually, with your own thoughts and background and heart, with the things that you came into this Sunday morning with on your mind, the way that God has been preparing you and the way that you've been going through your life, there is something for you that God is teaching you that I may not specifically say, but that God lays on your heart. And I want for you to take hold of those nuggets. I want you to take hold of that fine gold that God is giving you, that to know that He's refining you refining you through this word and refining you through the scripture. Um, I will not teach you everything that you will know about God. I cannot possibly teach you you everything that you will know about God. I can't even teach you everything I know about God. There's not enough time. We don't spend enough time together for me to teach you everything I know about God. And there's not enough time for you to teach me everything you know about God. We just don't have that much time. There's also not enough time for me in a Sunday morning to delve into Every single thing that these verses could be saying whenever I'm preaching any verses. But what I want to do is I want to, I want to paint, I want to paint a, a brush with a brush, a, a beautiful picture of what God is trying to show or what God is showing us and what he's teaching us and we're trying to learn. And so I pray that you would uh, take a hold of that this morning. That when God is showing you something that you should need to take hold of it. You need to hold on to it. And you need to hold on to that truth about God with your life. Because the words of God are life. And we get life from being breathed onto by God. In the garden, he breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of, a man, of the man so he would have life. Amen? Well, if the scripture says that it, it's breathed out by God, it's God breathed, then what do you think the scripture also gives us, church? If it's with the breath of God, then it gives us life. So he's calling you to life through the words of the scripture. And I want you to take heed of that and to acknowledge that and also just to hold on to the things that God would show you this morning through this reading. 
We're going to start off in verse 21. If you're there, say amen. God, help me. Help me, Lord. Please help me, Lord. Without you, I'm nothing, God. I have nothing. I have nothing of any great value without you. Lord, please communicate your message to your people, Lord. Me as your instrument and your servant, Lord. May the words of my mouth be the very words that you've given me to speak, Lord God. May you inspire me this morning, Lord, to speak this truth to your church. In Jesus' name, amen. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No end will never be. So there's going to be a great tribulation that the world has never known. Up until that point, 2,000 years ago, the world's never known anything like it up to that point. See, up, up until this point, and then no and will never be and never will be. So there's going to be a, a tribulation that's going to be great, greater than anything they've experienced and greater than anything that will ever happen. This is God's communication. In verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. God's mercy to cut short the days of tribulation for the believers is a mercy to believers. Amen? It is a mercy to believers. It is the merciful hand of God to stay His wrath only up to the point where He deems it necessary so that on the earth, tribulation would happen, punishment and judgment would come to pass, and that His believers, those who have been elected and chosen... The elect, the Bible calls them, would be saved. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. <clears throat> then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Excuse me. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. And if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Whether, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So you see that immediately, immediately after the tribulation, all these signs are going to happen in the heavens. That the, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Why will the moon not give its light? Well, the sun is darkened and the, and the moon's light is a borrowed light, isn't it? It's a borrowed light. It's a reflection of the sun. So if the sun goes, then the moon's light doesn't exist anymore. There's going to be darkness. The stars will fall from heaven. And there's complete darkness. There's no moon. There's, 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 there's no sun. And there's darkness all around. The, the sun is, is, is a star, is it not? Okay, so if the sun is darkened, that means every star will be darkened. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. There will be a rumble. They'll be shaken up, changed. There will be a murmur. They will reverberate throughout the universe when these things take place. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man... And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. A mourning, no doubt. A mourning, no doubt, from unbelievers saddened by the fact that their life has come to an end and destruction is the only thing that awaits. And He will send out His angels with loud, a loud trumpet call and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And from the fig tree learn its lesson as soon as its branches become tender and puts out its, new, its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, 
you know that he is near at the very gates. Who's he? Jesus. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. What does that mean if, if Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words won't? They never will. Well, that gives us some insight into this world and the feebleness of it, the finite essence of this earth and heaven as we currently understand that it exists, that it will be no more. Heaven and earth will pass away. What what is another word for pass away? When we say, oh, she passed away, he passed away, that means that they what? Correcto. That means they died. Heaven and earth will die. They, we, they will be no more. As we currently know the earth, it will not exist. As God currently exists in heaven, as heaven currently exists, heaven will pass away. Why? There has been sin in heaven. As a matter of fact, the enemy of God, Lucifer himself, wanted to descend to the throne of God and take God's place as God. But we know that can never happen. And so God casts him down out of heaven and a third of heaven's angels are uh, of heaven's angels go with him. Amen. When that happens, there is sin in heaven. And so everything that is sinful, every place that has been stained with the mark of sin must be done away with forever. Because then God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Amen. And that is the glorious destination of every saint, every believer in Jesus Christ, is that we will live in a new place, a perfect place built for us that we could glorify God forever and ever and ever. Amen. We have that hope of glory. We have that hope of the newness of God. We have that hope of the restoration of God, of the the revival of God, of the awakening of God. We have that hope that God is not going to leave us and lead us. He's not going to lead us astray and leave us at the altar. In fact, there is going to be a glorious heavenly marriage, won't there be? Between the church and the bridegroom, the Lamb of God himself and the bride, Jesus and the church, there will be this holy wedding This is the culmination of all things when everything glorious and good, everything that we've been working toward and everything that we've been leading up to or or that that we've been learning leads up to. It's this glorious uh, marriage between Jesus Christ and the church, His bride, that we would be together forever and that we would be with Him in unity in this new earth. Verse 21 through 28 Let's go back there in verses 21 through 28. says, um, <clears throat> For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. This is what I want to touch on here today, church. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have, I've told you beforehand, so if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, concerning the false prophets and the false Christs, they would promise deliverance to the people. They will promise deliverance to those who are waiting for the return of Christ, His elect. They will promise deliverance. And they will promise deliverance not only to the elect, they will promise deliverance to the world. It will promise them deliverance just like the lying prophets in Jeremiah's time. And I'm going to go through some of those instances with you. But they would instead only put the people under a delusion. Listen to Jeremiah 14.3. This is something Jeremiah dealt with. Jeremiah 14.13 thir- 14, says, Then I said, 
Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Now, look at that up against what Christ has just said. There will be great tribulation. People will have to face some pain. Jeremiah, in his time, is saying, God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, nor, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you a short peace in this place. And Jeremiah 23, 16 and 17, listen to this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. God is telling us that there are people who will come in and deceive, they'll let you know, listen, don't, you don't have to worry about anything, nothing. To unbelievers, listen, y'all, everybody's going to be saved. Don't worry about it. You don't have to believe in Jesus now. You don't have to do this. You don't, everybody's going to be saved. Once we all die, there's a chance right after that for you to bend the knee to Jesus, confess that he's Lord, and then you're going to be saved. This is the teaching of false prophets false Christ who will come into the world. They lead them into delusion. And they're delusional in their own thinking. And the saddest part of it all, well, the destruction is the saddest part of it all, but among the saddest things is that those people believe what they say. This is one of the biggest and greatest frustrations in my life is that people who speak lies believe those lies with every ounce of their being. They believe them. This is how they teach. This is how they, this is where they come from. They come from a truthful place in themselves that is divorced from the truth in reality. They are under a delusion. It's a lie that they've believed. Again, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of God. Listen to this. They say continually to those who despise the word of God, haters of the word, it shall be well with you. This is what they say. People who despise God and the word of God, this is what they say. It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. How many times have you heard in this culture, as you've been growing up in America, follow your heart? How many times have you heard that? Just follow your heart. Anybody ever heard that before? Well, here Jeremiah is telling us that this is some of the words of, of deception that the false prophets will use. Follow your heart. I have a rebuttal to that remark. I'm not asking you to follow your heart ever. Not ever. I'm asking you to follow Jesus. I'm asking you to follow his heart. I'm asking you to take up the mantle of Christ and the words of Christ and to follow them into eternity because that's where He will lead you. Your heart will lead you to decay and destruction. And that's something we need to know. It's something we need to be filled with and something that really needs to energize us because we know, listen, without the Lord, I'm nothing. I have nothing to offer, nothing that's of any eternal significance. Yes, I have things to offer in the world. I have talents. I have gifts. I've, uh, I've done all sorts of things in my life. I've worked all kinds of jobs. I have a lot of skill. I can do just about anything I put my mind to. If there's something that I want to do, I can learn how to do it and then I can do it. I know that about myself. I can teach myself how to do things that ordinarily I would never have done. Something I've never done before, I can pick it up and do it. I know that. That's something that I, I can do personally. There is no eternal significance in any of that without Christ. Without Jesus, none of that means anything. And I'm aware of that fact. So what I do is I don't walk around this world on this earth puffed up and thinking that I know everything. Instead, it's when I'm walking around, I, it's as though I am crawling on my knees in submission to Christ for every time he asks me to stand up, that I would stand up and proclaim his name. I'm on my knees before the Lord in my life. That is the way that I live my life, in submission to him. And so this is what I'm imploring for you, and you to do this morning, church, as well, is to live your life in submission to Jesus Christ in submission to God and His Word, that He would teach you and instruct you with these words, and that these words would influence everything in you to give glory to Him through everything that you do. Give God glory. Amen?
Give God glory. You'd be like, just say give God glory, Pastor, and move on. All right. Listen. Jeremiah 27, 16, listen to this. So we just read uh, Jeremiah's prophets, or the, the prophets, the false prophets during Jeremiah's time are saying, hey, listen, don't worry about anything. Ain't nobody going to get you. That's all just, they're just trying to scare you. Just come on with it. Come to us. We will bring you in. Golly, we love everybody here, you know, and just come in. Ain't nobody going to be destroyed. All right, we, we got that. Jeremiah 27, 16, listen to something else. Then I spoke to the priests and to all this people saying, thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. God is being very clear here that there are people who will come in and say, they will claim that they're speaking on behalf of God. God said this to me. God told me this. Oh, this, that's just not what I'm feeling in my spirit right now. Oh, my gosh. I'm just not feeling that one in my spirit. Really? Really? What spirit is that? Is it the spirit that's aligned with the scripture that calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow after him? Is that, is that the spirit of the Lord that you are not feeling it with? When somebody asks you to do so, I'm just not feeling it in my spirit. I just, I don't know, you know. What does that mean? Beware, church. Beware of those, God told me, God told me, God told me. Okay, does it align with the word of God? Does it align with the scripture? Does it call us to repentance? Does it call us to confession? Does it call us to a faithful life? Does it edify the church? Does it uh, glorify God? What do these things do that we that we think that the Lord is saying. I submit to you that I've thought that the Lord told me to do certain things in my life that were absolutely wrong. Anybody else? Anybody else come to that realization in their own lives? Man, I thought sometimes, yeah, this is, I just think this is what the Lord wants. And all, all of a sudden, man, things are getting real hectic and going haywire, and I'm like, that's not what the Lord wanted. Golly, I was wrong on that one. You know, this whole Christian life that I live, man, it's, it's really, it throws me for a loop, man. Because sometimes I think I'm right on something, and then I, like, immediately find out that I'm wrong about it. Um, my wife will tell you that. You know, um, we talk a lot about these things and, and things that I think I know that I don't know. And, and, and then all of a sudden, my mind has changed about something specifically. And this could be about anything in life and way, ideals that I have, things that I think that are, are just baggage of my upbringing. That's what they are. I, I believe things, I realize about myself that I still believe things that were taught to me when I was a child by whoever. And I still have, like, and I still bring that baggage of the past with me in my life now. And so every chance I get, I gotta shut those things down and I gotta close those doors, amen? I gotta close the doors to the false ideals and false thoughts and false beliefs that I had. False beliefs I had about God in the church, False beliefs I had about the Word of God. False beliefs I had about other books and other, other writings. False beliefs I had about certain pastors and, and their teaching. False beliefs that I had uh, about family and what that is and, and, and the responsibility of it. False beliefs I had about, about what it means to be a dad or a husband or a brother. False beliefs that I had uh, about what it means to be a son. All these things that I've had to change my mind on because God has changed my mind on it. And if we'll allow Him to, if we'll get out of the way in our own lives... Man, God will show us some awesome things that we never even considered to be true. And then you will find little nuggets of truth every moment, every day of your life that you'll glorify God for because you're like, thank you, God, for showing me the truth about this and that I have been wrong about it. There's no greater joy and glory for me now than knowing the truth according to God. I pray for it constantly. Every single day, multiple times a day, I pray and I ask God to show me the truth. To show me what's right and what's wrong. To show me where I'm wrong. And to confirm in me where I'm right about Him. Because the deepest desire of my life is to love God, to know Him, and to give Him glory throughout my entire life. If this is our aim, church, we can never go wrong. 
no matter what persecutions may befall you, no matter what struggle you may have in life, if you are giving glory to God and being changed by the word of God and being shown the truth of God by God, then you cannot fail in this life. Because you will then be extreme, like you will then be the most loving person that you know. Why? Because God is love. First John tells us that God is love. That that's, that's what he is. And so that will emanate out of your being. That will be your essence in Christ. You will be a loving human being if you will only submit to God. And if you will only be changed by the truth that he uh, intends to give to us. We need to be aware because of the times. Jesus knows where our hearts tend to go when trouble arises. And truth be told, our hearts as a people tend to go to the world because of our struggles, because of the conditioning of the world, because we've been living in this world so long, because many times, many people have more experience in the world than they do in Christ. They can be living an entire life in the world and then have a shorter period of time after they've given their life to Jesus Christ. And then some of those people who give their lives to Jesus Christ, even though it may even be a longer span of time, have not delved into the Bible and been informed by the, the depth of the wealth therein so that they would be changed constantly by the leading of the Word of God and the reading of the Scripture of God. If we can read, if we can know, if we can be filled with the truth of God, then we can be changed. Amen? We can be changed, but it takes an investment on our part to be changed by God through the reading of the Word of God. But because of the conditioning of the world and our own sin struggles, we tend to go to the world or turn our ears to those who will tell us what we want to hear. And when it's easier to hear, those things, they tend to get more traction from people. When it's popular, it tends to get more airtime on TV. Is that true? Popular things, trendy things, they'll always tell you in social media or on news sites or right when you open up your um, uh, Google or whatever it is that you search with, it will tell you, this is what's trending today, won't it? This is what's trending today. Oh, so these are the things that are important in the world. You know, what so-and-so wore at the, you know, blah, 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 blah. That's trending. Clothing, okay. That's what's important to the world. What's important to God is glorifying God with our lives. That is what's important to God, is us being changed as a people and sharing the gospel. But when it's popular, it tends to get more airtime on, on TV and more consideration from people. It's the hard things that get overlooked and left behind. The hard things, the things that are difficult for us to process and even put into practice. Because people will follow a false Christ if that false Christ promises deliverance, or, or even better for people perhaps, if those false Christs promise no tribulation, if they promise no pain in life, no struggle in life, if they promise no hell, if they promise no punishment for sin, and that everyone will get to heaven no matter what. Those things, people tend to listen to those a little bit easier. And they will be like the false prophets of Jeremiah's time who promised deliverance for the people that God never promised them. Jeremiah preached a hard message. He communicated to the people that... Let me, let me, let me qualify that. They'll be like the false prophets of Jeremiah's time who promised deliverance to the people that hated God. God never promised that to those people. God did promise deliverance for His people though. Amen? He communicated to the people that they were far from God and needed to repent, Jeremiah did, to turn back to him and to forsake the world and its passions. This was Jeremiah's teaching. He was called the weeping prophet. He was always in lament. Why? Because nobody listened. He said, get out of here, Jeremiah. We don't want to listen to you, man. We got these other prophets that are telling us exactly what we want to hear, baby. They're good. Man, you should hear them preach. Mm. Man, I, I'm shouting. I'm up. I'm up. Woo! This is during the sermon. Y'all can do that here, too. I don't mind. You know what I'm saying? That just helps me. You know what I'm saying? You want me to preach better? Let me hear you say Let me hear you a little bit. You know? All right. He communicated to the people that they were far from God and needed to repent. This is what Jeremiah's message was. People didn't want to listen. 
They turned their hearts and ears to the, the easier message, the one that tickled their ears upon letting it pass to the outer cartilage to make its way all the way to the drum and then to their minds. They had it deep down in their hearts, that false message. But be on guard, church, and do not be deceived. The fact that God would shorten those days, the days of the tribulation, as he says, so as to protect the elect from any further pain, this is a mercy of God. It's the mercy of the only God who has ever and will ever exist to shorten the days for his own and not repay their sin equally and lay it upon their shoulders to bear. This is the mercy of God. Amen? It is the mercy of God, church, that you don't have to bear the punishment for your own sin. Does anybody know who bore the punishment for our sin? The man, Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh, the Eternal One, the Word Himself. In fact, it was upon the shoulders of the Savior in which our Father laid the burden of the sin of the people. And upon His shoulders was the only place in all of creation that all that burden could rest all at once. They are mighty shoulders. Mighty shoulders which Jesus Christ displays at the cross to carry the weight of the sin of man. But His shoulders were capable. They were strong enough. And even more, they were the cleft of the rock which God prepared for all of those who would come to Him in faith. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. It's not a wonder for us in Christ why God would punish so harshly. It's not a wonder. Because we understand the wickedness of our own hearts. We understand the thoughts in our own minds. Those thoughts that we say, oh gosh, God, I do not want to think about that. God, save me from these thoughts, these old thoughts. Save me from that old man, from that old woman that I was. Save me from that Lord. So it is not a wonder for us in Christ why God would punish so harshly the world for their rejection of Him. It is rather a mercy and a bewilderment that He not let those days extend even further so as to rightfully punish all of us for the depth and wickedness of our own personal sin toward Him. There is a mercy of God not to do that. And that's what we understand in Christ. That God has not punished us as we deserve. We who are in Christ marvel at this truth. We glory in it. We take refuge in this truth. We take refuge in the truth. God forgives sin. Do you take refuge in that truth, church? God forgives sin. He does it by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God forgives sin. Again, Jesus forgives sin. He forgives it. He forgives it. That is... I don't understand it, and He does it. I don't have to understand it in order for God to do it. That's a great thing. I don't understand that, that type of forgiveness that cries out for forgiveness from the cross while the weight of sin bears down on Him, pulls Him away from the nails that have tied Him to the wood. That stretching, that flesh-tearing tendon No amount of persecution or pain in this world should ever let you lose sight of that very glorious fact that Jesus Christ forgives sin. And then this one, that this life on earth is not the end, and glory be to God for that truth. This life on earth is not the end, church. I know it can get, it can get to a point where we, where we treat this world and this life as though it is the end. So we try to get absolutely every, absolutely everything we possibly can to fit it into this life. Oh, I still need to do this. Don't need to do that. Still need to do this. Oh, I got to do this. Man, I've been, uh, I've been working on, I've been, I've been landscaping my backyard. Um, and as I've been landscaping my backyard, man, it's been awesome. And I'll tell you what, if I never have to dig through another, uh, you know, oak root, I'll be happy. You know, and, and, you know, if golly, then things are like webs, you know, all over. You, you got little oak trees growing up from roots. I'm like, where'd you come from? You know, and then they're just growing up from roots and having to mess with all of that. But then to look at the soil underneath, man, man, this is all composted soil. It's so rich under here. Man, if I plant something here, man, it's going to get done. Man, this thing's going to grow. It's going to be awesome. And as I do it, I'm like, man, 
God could destroy this tomorrow. Should I even do it? Should I even spend my time doing anything that's going to be burned up with this world when God destroys it? It's going to decay. And I think, but, 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 but listen, look, think about the, the, the things that God is teaching you through this, the things that God's teaching you through the work that you do, the things that God's... Carl and Doe, y'all grow garden every year, right? Every year, right? Y'all, y'all always got something going on. Always got something going on. The things that you learn from that, and you'll attest to this, the things that you learn from that are about God, aren't they? You listen, when we live our lives for God, the things that we end up doing that we feel led to do, if we live our life for God, will glorify God and we will learn about Him in the midst of those things. The work that you do in the world, church, the work that you do, the jobs that you have, you can glorify God in those places if you will allow God to teach you in those places about who you are in Him and about who He is so that you can love Him more. I mean, I tell you what, sometimes, so, so many times in my life, I can leave interactions with people, I can leave the store, I can leave this, leave that. Man, let me tell you something. Some people have been kind of rude to me during this whole pandemic thing, right? And... Like one time, I was, I was at Lowe's, right? I had just been there, but I forgot something, so I went back. Man, I forgot my mask. And I didn't realize it. So I walk right in, I'm doing all this and everything, and then I see everybody with their masks, and I was like, oh, no. But I was already in the aisle, y'all. I was already right next to my item. I'm like, I just need to get this little piece of PVC right here. And I'm like, so I'm like this. I'm like this. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like this, walking around the store. But whenever anybody comes near me, I go, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like this, and nobody's around me. So I'm like, all right. So I pull it down. I'm like this. I'm looking at these parts and trying to get a fitting. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, a little Lowe's worker. You know what I'm saying? Lo and behold, out of the shadows, like a little ninja, sir, you need to have a mask on. And I'm like, uh, say, say what? Uh, I heard him. I was just trying to figure out what I was going to say. You ever do that? And so uh, <laughs> I was like, say what, man? And he says, I, I, sir, he was all put out on his face. You need to get a mask. And I said, uh, yeah, man, I'm just doing this right here. So I, I got this. Uh, it's in, uh, okay. Uh, and so I kept on going about my day, right? And man, he looked at me. He's like, and then he was huffing and puffing the whole time he was trying to pack shells in back of me. I'm like, homeboy, if you're scared, man, go to the other aisle for a little bit. Let me get my part and go. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't mess with me. And so, like, but that's the way that I feel, right? That's the way that I feel because out in the world, you know, we can get little. And I'm like, God, mm. So God showed me in that moment that my frustrations with mankind, that my frustrations with people can runneth over right? If they tell me something I don't want to hear, so then after that, as I'm leaving, I'm like, Lord, help me to be your man in each and every circumstance. My words could have been seasoned with salt much better in that moment. My, I, I could have had a better interaction. God, show me the truth about myself. Lord, help me to hold my tongue, to, to, to take every thought captive. Lord, help me to shine your light. Man, let me tell you something. If we can learn from God in the interactions that we have out in the world every single moment that we can, that will lead us to a better life with Christ because we will know Him better. Amen? This is what we got to do. Never turn your mind off to the change of God that He is preparing for your heart that day. Amen. Listen, this life is not the end. And glory be to God in heaven for this truth. John 14. I love this. This was when I started doing scripture memorization years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so. This was the one that I wanted to start with. It says, let, your, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is like communicating to us, listen, there's going to be a place for you beyond this world. And I'm preparing that place for you. And I wouldn't even have said anything if it wasn't true. People in this world will say things that don't end up being true. 
They will promise things that don't end up coming to pass. I've done it. Other people have done it to me. We all do it. We all make promises or say, hey, I'm going to do this. And then, then we, we fall short on those things. That's just human nature, right? But with Jesus, it's different. Because the nature of God is to bring to pass all those things that he says. To fulfill them perfectly. Perfectly. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus Christ desires to take us to himself. This is the hope of the believer. He's going to take us to himself, into a place that he made for us. He got it ready for us. He prepared it for us, right? And he also tells us that his return will be unmistakable, and we need to be ready for it. And listen to this in Matthew 24, verses 27 and 28. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That last little verse can throw us for a loop. I'm going to go over it a little bit here in, in a moment. But he gives us this insight, and it comes up against and opposite the way that the enemy comes in. The enemy comes in to, to, to seek, kill, and destroy. The, the enemy comes in to deceive. The enemy comes in, he creeps in, right? There's the, the, the enemy, the, the false prophets, they creep in. I'm going to read a scripture in a minute that's going to attest to that. The enemy's way is crafty. Remember in the beginning in the garden, he slithered in. The slivering wicked snake, the serpent, or yeah, the serpent, uh, as the Bible calls him, he, he slithers in the garden into the presence of the man and the woman who ate from the forbidden tree. He deceives them about it and they eat. The scripture also gives us some insight into the attitudes and the hearts of the people to watch out for in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. So we're still talking, there's going to be many false Christs, many false prophets who are going to come into this world, right? Deceive even the elect if they can. But understand this, he says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. Okay, so these are things to watch out for, character, characterizations of people. This is going to be who people are. And I want you to take this list and look out for it. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Now listen to this. Avoid such people. You hear that? Avoid such people for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. So they creep into households to capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as, as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was, of, as was that of those two men. Now quickly, I want to turn your attention to verse 5 here. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people... So Paul's telling them to avoid people who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. So what does it mean, what does it mean to deny the power in godliness or of godliness? Well, one of the things it's telling us here at least is that these people deny the gospel. And how do we know that? Well, if we read Romans 1, 16 and 17, we hear Paul here telling us that he's not ashamed of something. That, that, that there's no shame in something for him, and if there's any shame in our life, in our sinful life, that there's no shame in this other thing that comes up against our sinful life, and this is the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel, 
is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So, again, denying the power of godliness. People who have the appearance of godliness yet deny its power. Well, what's the power? The gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So their denial is a denial of the truth. It's a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a... a, a, a here that we see the apostles considering the gospel, this power of salvation to those who believe. And that's incredible because we cannot operate in power. In fact, we are void of power if we deny the gospel. And the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. In case anybody's wondering, the gospel means good news. The word gospel means good news and is the good news of Jesus Christ to save sinners by dying for us in our place to satisfy the wrath of God for sin and to bring all those who believe in Him to eternal life with Him. This is the Gospel. That is the simple Gospel. This salvation is not temporary. Again, it is eternal. And what is eternal is another awesome word for eternal. Forever. This thing's forever. This power is forever. This, this Gospel is forever. This salvation is forever. His words will not pass away. It is forever. It will always be true. And the ones who deny its power, since they have none, remember, they have the appearance of godliness, yet deny its power, so there's no power in their false godliness, and because they have no power, they got to creep in. They can't come in in boldness. They got no power. They got to creep in. They got to slide in. They got to slither in like the serpent to deceive women, to deceive men. In order to deceive, among other things, the false prophets will say that it, it must be a, it's, it's a secret message. One that not everyone knows. That has only been kept for a select few. A new message, perhaps. This was the teaching of the Gnostics back in the first couple centuries. Teaching of the Gnostics. And, and then another perversion from Judaizers would say that you must obey all the law of Moses plus believe in Jesus in order to be saved. Those are deceptions. Those are not true. The Gnostics believed that they had a secret knowledge that Jesus only taught a couple of disciples. They even wrote Gospels. They even wrote books called the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. They wrote these false Gospels in order to deceive people because this is what they really believed. They believed that Jesus gave a secret knowledge to a select few and only those select few had that knowledge. And so in order to have that knowledge, you've got to be with them. Beware of anybody that tells you that they've got any kind of secret knowledge that isn't plainly seen in the Scripture. Amen? And then the Judaizers, you've got to you know, have be circumcised, you've got to uh, you know, do the law, you've got to adhere to the law of Moses and believe in Jesus. So it's Jesus plus works. Well, we know that the Bible says what? It's salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. They are those who would come in in disguise to deceive believers, to have them follow after them instead of the teaching of the apostles that clearly taught against those things. And then the the perversion will grow and grow and lead to the building up of man who sets himself up against God and declares himself to be God after deceiving the nations. This is the succession of things that's going to happen. But God won't creep in, will He? God will not creep in. How will God come? Like lightning... He will not come creeping in. He will come suddenly like lightning strikes from the sky. It flashes great, uh, are are great and they are brilliant light and and they make a loud noise that can be heard for miles. Interestingly, lightning can be seen from up to 100 miles away. Did you know that? It can be seen from up to 100 miles away. Did anybody see... When Hurricane Laura, they were showing like that, uh, the, the weather Doppler thing or whatever it's called. I'm telling you, I'm not that smart. So the weather, and, and so the, you, see, you see the cyclone, right? And the weather formation and the, and the cloud formation, everything. You see the hurricane. Did y'all see that one where they showed all the different lightning strikes? It was like, you know, like little electric pulses everywhere. Man, I thought that was so interesting. And it really got me to think about this. 
Lightning can be seen from, un, from 100 miles away, and it can be heard from up to 25 miles away. But when the Lord comes, so okay, 100 miles away, that's pretty, that's pretty big. can be heard from 25 miles away, that's pretty big too. Man, golly, was that around here when you hear the, the thunder, right? Because the thunder is the sound of the lightning, right? But when the Lord comes, the entire world will know because He is the light of mankind and He will come like lightning. Lightning is used so many times in the Bible to describe the judgment of God and the rescue of God, also likened to arrows being unleashed. Lightning is. It's likened to arrows being unleashed in the Bible. I'm going to read some verses for you. It's also used to describe the appearance of heavenly beings. Lightning is. It's used to describe the appearance of heavenly beings and Jesus Christ himself. These references are all through the Bible. Listen to this. References to lightning in the scripture come in Exodus, 2 Samuel, Job, the Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Matthew, Luke, and the book of Revelation written under divine inspiration from the Holy Spirit by the apostle and prophet John. So I want to ask you something real quick. If that many people included lightning in the scripture, you think it maybe it's important to us? You think maybe it's something that we should know about a little bit? Maybe a little bit? All right. Luke 10, 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Woo! Uh! It was sudden. It was an impact. It was a great fall. Daniel 10, 5 and 6. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. This is Daniel's prophecy. With a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. Waist. His body was like beryl. Y'all know that's another gemstone, right? His, his body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Eyes like lightning. A voice like thunder. Like a multitude. God even tells us as he questions Job that lightning originates with God and is distributed by God and it answers to God. In Job 38:24, he says, what is the way to the place where the light is distributed? Another translation says lightning. What is the way to the place where the light is distributed or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Job 38, 34, and 35, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Even the lightning answers to God. It, it's representation, the place where it strikes is exactly where God wants it to strike. David tells us that God uses his lightning as a weapon to slay his enemies in 2 Samuel 22, 12-15. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water, out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. That's a big old storm, isn't it? Mmm, gathering of water, thick clouds, darkness. Mmm. Even the throne of the Almighty is lit by flashes of lightning, according to the prophet John in Revelation 4 and verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Tell me if the throne of God looks like maybe what you've pictured in your mind. Have you pictured flashes of lightning and peals of thunder from the throne of God? Is it a wonder now why every single person, whether they believe or not, will have a time when they have to meet God and the people that don't believe in him will be judged for the things that they've done on this earth and be condemned for the works that they've done on this earth, for the destruction that they brought upon their own life and their family. They will be judged for it. They will be condemned and they will be at this throne, the one that has flashes of lightning and peals of thunder coming from it. You think that's going to be scary for them? If this is the, the throne of God with lightning and thunder, 
gemstones all around it. Oh my gosh. It's no wonder that when the prophet Isaiah sees Christ high and lifted up on his throne, that he falls on his face and says, I'm not worthy. I pray that we live our lives like that. We are not worthy, but by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, he makes us worthy in him. So is lightning important to us as the people of God? Absolutely. It is the sign of his coming and the trumpet will sound. The thunder of his voice will ring out through the heavens and the earth will know and will have to give account to him. Verse 27 and 28, Matthew 24. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the, pro- the, the coming of the Son of Man so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So this lightning storm won't be like the storms that we see and experience here on this earth. Even that awesome, like, you know, radar or shot or like, you know, satellite shot from the sky, from space that they have shining down on the earth to monitor hurricanes and storms and cloud formations that had all those little dots of lightning going all through it that was really wild to look at, even that pales in comparison to the way way that the sky will be lit up by lightning when Jesus actually comes back. Because it's going to be as far away as the east is from the west, from the east to the west, so not just a concentrated area, not just seeing it from 100 miles away, maybe hearing it from 25 miles away, but the entire earth will shudder because God is coming in like the lightning. God comes in and nobody, nobody is hidden from it. Everything lit up, everywhere lightning. And this comes up in direct contrast to how the deceivers will come in. They must be disguised, false Christs, false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. But Jesus will come to be seen by all and there won't be any mistakes about it. And this is why when he comes, the nations mourn. Because it's, Time's up for them. The false ones will come in the spirit of fear to deceive and not be seen, to disguise themselves and give themselves more of a chance to work in darkness. But God is opposite of them. And He operates in real power. Moreover, He gives to us not a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control because that power is in the Gospel. The power of God for salvation to all who would believe. He gives us the Gospel and we believe it. We aren't deniers of the truth. We live in it. We relish it. We love it because it's about God and it's about His plan to save us. Even as bad as we are, if we would place our faith in Jesus. And no matter where you fall in the timeline, listen to this, no matter where you fall in the timeline theology of the end times and the rapture, we can all agree on something. We will be spiritually and eternally protected and taken to be with him once and for all. We will be protected by Christ and we will be hidden by Christ, hidden away in the cleft of the rock. This is God's promise for believers that He would keep us from the hour of trial, that He would protect us, that His covering would be over us. Verses 27 and 28 again, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Verse 28 is interesting, isn't it? As Jesus speaks to us about life and death, about tribulation, persecution, false prophets out to deceive at first in secret, he makes this statement about the corpse and the vultures. It's, it's, it's a real interesting one. It's one that's been spiritualized over and over again. Many different meanings. People say, oh, this means this, this means this, this means this. Well, obviously, what's a corpse but a dead person, Right? A corpse is a dead person, a corpse. Vultures will gather to pick off the carcass, right? Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather, right? We all, we live in Texas, man. There's vult, man, there was vultures over on, on McCampbell the other day, you know what I'm saying? Because there's like a dead cat in the road or something. That's, they just, that's where they are. They, they, they are where dead things are. And this seems to be written in the context of false Christs and false prophets. It seems many have uh, 
different observations about this verse, but it seems it could mean that the corpse is the one destined for death and destruction leading the charge. That would be the false teachers and the false Christs. Vultures then would be those who are deceived that eat up the teachings of the false prophets and false Christs. Okay? That's, that's, one, that's one interpretation. Of course, it could also simply mean that just like when you see vultures flying overhead as a sign of death, you will see signs in the sky at the coming of Jesus linking it to the signs in the sky and to Him coming like lightning. The corpse could be an illustration of Jesus about Himself once the corpse, once the dead man, the crucified one who said this. Listen to this. Interesting when we think about it in this way as well. John 6, 53-59. You may have forgotten that Jesus said this, but He said it nonetheless. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, So whoever feeds on me, he also will have life because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in at Capernaum. Interesting to think about it that that way as well, isn't it? This could be an allusion to Christ, the corpse, the vulture. In other words... When you see the vultures gather, when you see the signs in the sky, then you'll know that that's where I am. Nonetheless, it's incredibly interesting, and either way you see it, look out and be ready and pray. Right? Either way, either way you fall on the timeline of, of, of the rapture and the second coming and all that stuff, because there are different people in this church that believe different things about when the rapture is going to take place, if it's going to take place. I'm not here to argue that with you, because I don't, I don't, believe, that that's, I don't believe that's an edifying argument. I don't believe that's an essential argument to believing in Jesus Christ and being saved forever. Amen? So I'm not going to argue that here with you. What I am going to do, though, is say that Jesus Christ is telling us one thing through all this, y'all. Be ready. Be ready. How do you get ready, church? You read your word. How do you get ready, church? You live for God. How do you get ready for church? Or how do you get ready, church? You love God and love people. How do you get ready? You're the light of the world. How do you get ready? You be the salt of the earth. How do you get ready? You walk in that path that Jesus has laid out for you. You walk that narrow road. How do you get ready? You confess your sin to God. You repent of your sin and you don't fall in it anymore. You flee from sin and you rest in Christ. How do you get ready, church? How do you get ready? How do you get ready? How much thought did you take to getting ready to come here this morning when you were preparing yourself? Do you put that much thought and emphasis and detail into your preparation for God and for living a life with Him and the things that may come? And even as we live in this world now, the things that have come. Let's not be deceived. This world messed up, isn't it? Broken. Seemingly broken beyond repair. But I believe in a God of restoration. I believe in a God of reconciliation. I believe in a God of miracles. I believe in the God of love. I believe in Jesus Christ who wants to save us from an eternity of condemnation and destruction and bring us to Himself, to that place that He prepared for us. That where He is, we also would be. And as Jesus says in Mark 13, 37, in the parallel verse, he beautifully puts it like this. In verse 37, Mark 13, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. Let's pray. Lord God, these are heavy verses, lots of weight, No doubt can cause confusion and calamity, but Lord, you are the God of truth and clarity. Make it clear to us, Lord, that we need to stay awake, that we need to be prepared, be ready, that we need to live our life for you. 
that we need to call all those that don't know you, that we know, Lord, in our families, at work, that we need to call them to you, that we need to share the gospel with them, Lord. Help us, God. Help us, Lord, to reach this entire city of Aransas Pass, Ingleside, Gregory, Portland, Corpus Christi. Help us, Lord, to reach as many people as you would have us reach, Lord, with the message of Jesus Christ and your atonement, Lord, for the sin of everyone who would believe. God, we thank you for your sacrifice, God. And I I ask, Lord, that, that you would lead us to live our lives in sacrifice to you, that we would give up the world and its passions and desires, Lord, and that we would take up the mantle of Christ and glorify you with our lives. God, help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow after you. Help us, Lord, to preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that you've commanded. And God, I pray that you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name, amen.